0: The optimal life. as you know this podcast is centered around uh, inspirational conversations with people doing extraordinary things and uh, it seems like you've um, you're, you're in that niche in that universe where you're helping people change their lives so I you know we connected on Facebook I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing some of what you do um, how is uh how's everything been this year for you? Let's let's address the elephant first and foremost, this 2020 corona covid all this craziness. I mean, what has it been for been like for you?
1: Yeah, well, it is an elephant, right? But um you know, I have to say that I I I see it as a, as an opportunity really um, for people to, so m- my niche is working with people's health and particularly with autoimmune conditions or chronic health conditions. So I feel like 2020 and the whole focus on a, even though it's a virus, that it really very much relates for people to start to notice and be aware of their health. And so I viewed it as an opportunity to really take that conversation on to a whole other level, you know, where people maybe were a little bit more willing to tolerate their health um, because, in, to my mind, most of us really need to up-level our health, so sure. it's been an opportunity to do that.
0: Yes, it has. I, I just, I'm skeptical, I, hate, I have to tell you. I've talked about this before, too, with people. I'm skeptical of people really wanting to change themselves. They say they have to. I mean, if this disease doesn't cause people to wake up and say, I need to get healthier, then nothing will. Uh, But when I say I'm skeptical, I just just feel like people eventually will, even if they feel like they're making changes now, the hard part is sustaining over time, correct?
1: Um yeah you cut out for a second but you said the hard part is is the
0: hard consistency. part is the, the hard part yeah consistency or sustain sustainability Sustaining. yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah you're right absolutely and um part of when we go to work with people cuz it's easy to say okay you need to change your food but sticking with that exactly what you're saying like how do i do that through the different events especially culturally you know, our food is so wrapped up into the the way that we live our life. So um, there's a couple of things that come to play to my mind. One is always getting present to your why, you know, like what is your why that makes you want to want to do this, to do something enough um, to make it be a long lasting change. And so if, if you aren't connected to your why, it's much more difficult to sustain that. And then the other thing I think that really helps people to make consistent and long-lasting changes is to look like shift the framework that you're looking at it through you know and shift it from let's just say um, as a sacrifice Oh, so I'm giving up something to, sh- to shift it to wow it's really great that I can understand what I can do to make myself feel better and when I frame it that way then it makes me want to do it as opposed to, f- to framing it like oh, this stinks, I had to give something up, you know, or however people might be thinking about it. So changing the way you look at it a little bit and then getting present to your why I think is helpful.
0: And I imagine the, the what's your why is probably a major theme that you use all the time with your clients.
1: Absolutely, especially when people are first in the inquiry of, hmm, do I want to take this on? Do I want to... Do I want to go to work on this? Because it's like, what? Why now? Especially when people have been feeling not well for a long time. Like it might be, it's you know, ten years that I've had thyroid disease, or since high school, you know, whatever the story is. So people can be willing to tolerate symptoms for a long time. So you have to get really present to why do I want to change this now? Because my life is not going. I don't want to, I'm not living my life the way I'd like it to, li- I'd like to be living it.
0: Organic Health Journey, this is your website, this is your, mm-hmm. your business, your consultancy, you're your, your a women's health coach, so give us a little background about about uh, what you do.
1: Sure, well, I, I've always been um, into wellness, I'm 55 years old, and in my, tw- actually as an 18 year old, I started teaching aerobics and fitness stuff as I went through college, so my my undergraduate and graduate um, degrees are in fitness, really, uh, exercise physiology. I have a master's in. And then as I moved through my 20s, I myself started to be unwell. So I was like the really tired. Unwell fitness trainer, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, which was not okay with me. Um, but I, I didn't know how to get better. I would go to the doctor. I would go to the endocrinologist. So I was diagnosed in the course of my adult years. I was diagnosed with four different autoimmune conditions at different points. Um, ulcerative colitis was the first one in my earlier twenties. Graves' disease, rosacea, I had a, adrenal fatigue, and then Hashimoto's. So as I moved through my adulthood I had a commitment to wellness as a passion but I was not well and so at some point after my fourth autoimmune diagnosis when I just had more medications that was really the answer um was uh, you know I don't know why your thyroid is doing this but this is what happens and here's more meds um I was like not you know this is not okay with me so I went I started to research and I went back to school and um because I kind of like school anyway so that was an easy (laughs) an easy decision to, to make and I became a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and I'm just really passionate about this issue this sort of chronic health autoimmune issue because it's quite prevalent in our country and um you know I know how it feels to try to struggle through your your life and your day feeling low energy and brain fog and wishing you could lose weight all of those things so I just shifted so I've always been in wellness but I sort of shifted my focus because of my own life
0: yeah and when you say because of your own life it it hasn't been just yourself I know that since you've been a parent you've struggled as well with certain things uh, especially uh, one of your children being special needs correct?
1: Yes my daughter Charlotte she actually passed away um last summer oh, June geez. of 2019
0: I'm so sorry yep. to hear that
1: And um thank you yeah she um and that contributed yes you're right to all, the whole picture I certainly was on well long before I had kids. Um, And then Charlotte was born, she died when she was 15. But the night she was born, uh, which was in 2004, she was rushed to, we live in New Jersey, so she was rushed to a hospital in New York by um, medical transport, had open heart surgery on the night she was born, and really was in the hospital most of her life. And so, those especially the first five years i really like i lived at the hospital i pounded coffee and ate out of the vending machines and spent nights in the er you know all of that and then you know and also her health really trying to learn everything that i could i mean i for 15 years we were more in the hospital than out and so i used to justify well of course i feel like crap because this is my life um and then when I really started to learn I realized you know what I have a choice I can say this is my life but meanwhile I'm the one pounding coffee and eating out of the vending machine right so uh maybe I can be making other choices that would help me to feel better and so as I learned more and as I found my footing in being the mom of a special needs kid and how to navigate that, um, I was able to balance all that out. But yeah, the experience with Charlotte was very much a big part of it.
0: Oof, I am so sorry to hear that. Tell us tell us a little bit about, uh, if you're comfortable sharing, tell us a little bit about Charlotte if you would.
1: Oh my gosh, I love talking about Charlotte. Yeah. You might be sorry you asked me that, but yeah, she. so she had a heart anomaly, which um, her her pulmonary veins which come from your lungs and bring oxygenated blood to the heart they were not attached to her heart and we didn't know that so as soon as she was born and needed to breathe on her own she could not circulate oxygenated blood so that's you know obviously an immediate problem she had her first open heart surgery that night but she sustained um post-surgery her heart and lungs really started to fail she needed to be put on like a life support to let Let her body rest from that surgery and there was a lot of organ damage. Her kidneys were not well perfused. She ended up being the youngest kidney transplant that New York Columbia Presbyterian had ever done at the time. They've since done somebody younger, but she was the youngest at the time. She wasn't yet two. And she had a second open heart surgery. She had a stroke after her first open heart surgery. So You know, the first several years were major catastrophic, big surgeries. And then we had a chunk of time where we were sort of, you know, stabilized and um, in terms of being in the hospital so much. But she was on a feeding tube and in a wheelchair, you know, um, all of that. She lost her hearing from some of the medications. And then in 2012, she was diagnosed with cancer in her brain. And that was from the immunosuppression of the transplant drugs from her kidney transplant so she had three tumors in her brain we were at Sloan Kettering she had two years of chemo that finished in 2014 and she was so she, um, uh,
0: she, she has can- she's diagnosed with cancer at like the age of eight give or take yes wow mm-hmm. after everything yep. she had already gone through oh my god
1: yeah and 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 that is part of what can happen to someone when they've had a transplant it's it's actually Epstein-Barr virus which she got in a blood transfusion can proliferate into lymphoma in immunocompromised people so when you have a transplant they suppress your immune system and so her immune system couldn't handle the Epstein-Barr virus and it you know became lymphoma and it's it's a big deal it's malignant not a lot of kids have had that they didn't have data it was she actually was in a trial at Sloan Kettering but she she came through she responded to the chemo we had two years of chemo but then her kidney that had been transplanted started to fail because of all the drugs and the scans and the you know everything from the chemo so she started to um, she needed another kidney and Actually, I was a match for her. She couldn't get my kidney when she was a baby because it it was too big for her. She had a pediatric kidney. But we were getting ready to do a second transplant, and I was going to be the donor. But um, she just didn't make it to the point where we actually could do the transplant.
0: Jeez. Did you have a child prior to her?
1: I have a son who's two years older. Yep, he was two when she was born.
0: So your son, I mean, so you guys are going through about your life... You have a two-year-old, and then, and he was healthy, I take it?
1: Yep, And yep. then she, he's a healthy, great great big brother to her. He really grew up going to the hospital and um, being second, because when you have a kid like that, that, everybody comes second to what she needed, and he's just been great the whole time. What
0: are the feelings like in those, I mean, I guess it probably is throughout 15 years, but... At the early stages when it's all new to you and scary as hell and you can't believe what the heck's going on. I mean, what are the feelings like those nights? Do you recall going back to those hospital nights?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I would say um, that really for at least the first five years, I just felt like I was drowning. I felt numb a lot of the time, like just, just numb, just like... You know, trying to keep up with the next conversation and the next thing to put in place, the next surgery, whatever it was. And we had a lot of help, a lot, a lot of help in terms of uh, it, in every way, taking care of my son, there were there was financial help because it was hard to work, um, et cetera. So but just really feeling like I was drowning uh, is the best way that I can describe it. And then,
0: do you talk to God and say, like, what the hell? Like, are you mad? Are you angry? What, what's that like?
1: You know what? Um, I was not angry at God. And and people have asked me this before, and this is what I think. I I was scared um, a lot and fearful, but I when I look around at the world and what's happening in all different places of the world and what people deal with... I would think to myself well why not me like why would i think that we should get through life unscathed you know look at what people deal with look at massive massive catastrophes all around the world so i i didn't i wasn't angry like that and i will tell you that my relationship with god changed a lot um in a good way and i my faith got deeper and stronger and there were a couple of instances where I real more than one instance where I really know that that God was present and then the power of prayer changed the course of how we how it was going.
0: What was one of the, those examples where you felt the presence?
1: Um, sure. I this was not a, the, the the trajectory I expected the conversation to go, but I'm 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 happy to share about Charlotte. But yeah, there was two. I'll tell you both. One of them, she was about. I guess 10 months old and we were told that she was going to need a kidney transplant that her kidneys had not gotten enough oxygen after the heart surgery they weren't well perfused the tissue didn't recover and that she would be needing one and you know as a mom you're looking at this baby that's you know a foot and a half long she's already had an, already been cut from breastbone to belly button uh, you know already spent six months the first year when she was born she was in the hospital six months seven months her second year of life and then the thought of like a transplant like they're going to go in and take out her kidneys or actually they don't take them out they just put in a new one um, and they just leave the old ones there but anyway I was in the house in the middle of the day crying in her room she was in the hospital my son was being taken care of by someone I, I, I was in the house alone and I was just really sobbing, like really like not wanting that transplant, really resisting it, really, you know, they must not know what they're talking. And all of a sudden I heard a voice and it was a male voice you know when you well you always hear a male voice in your head because it's your voice but you know when you know it's your voice talking to you like it's your own thoughts right. I knew it it wasn't my own thoughts it wasn't my voice it wasn't my thought it actually was external to me and it was a male voice and it said it'll be okay just that sentence and I actually thought someone came in the house like somebody like I went to the top of the stairs and I yelled out hello because I was like is somebody in the house and they heard me crying but nobody was in the house but that voice said it'll be okay and I had this feeling of um just peace I guess like I just caught like the the crying just ebbed away and I thought it'll be okay like I don't know what that means I don't know how it's gonna look turned out it it did. she still did need a transplant but my level of peace in that moment showed up and I know it was, I really feel like it was God just saying to me it'll be okay, like just calm down and stop being so fearful mm-hmm. so that was the first time that I was really like wow and then when she was, it was after the transplant when she was um, about two and a half and she was in the hospital, she had gotten a virus uh RSV i don't know if you've ever heard of it but it's a, a virus that can attack the lungs very very sick she was on a ventilator at the highest setting 100% oxygen the the ventilator was turned up to she the pressure of the ventilator like blowing air into her lungs her lung tissue was so inflamed it was blowing holes in her lungs so she had five holes in her lungs and her lips and tongue were black from the poor oxygen and the, the head of critical care said to me we need to have a conversation about when enough is enough and um, that was on a Friday. The following Monday we went in to have a conversation with the team and the next day was my niece's second birthday and I said to the doctor all I'm asking is that you wait until the day after tomorrow because I don't want this to happen when it's my niece's birthday because forever in my family will remember this and it shouldn't ruin her birthday. So can you wait? And it was a new doctor now. So the guy on Friday was now off, right? He had finished his week and it was a new guy. And Mm -hmm. this guy on Monday said, I'm not ready to go there let's see what Charlotte tells us she's been in in bad places before let's see what she does so I went into her room and I'm looking at the monitors and they're really bad numbers right like the level of support she's needing and the level of oxygen that she's able to keep up was not good and she's got all this black in her mouth and I just said God you're the only one who can turn this around they've They've maxed out what's possible for her. There's nowhere else for these machines to go. If it's meant for her to stay here, please, please help her. And I prayed in a way that I had never prayed before. Like, I can't even tell you, but it was like from my gut, like, please step in and make a difference. And as I'm watching the monitors, all of a sudden, and she had been that way for weeks, literally 11 weeks on a ventilator. All of a sudden, the monitor, within like 15 minutes, the numbers started to move. I called the nurse and I'm like, her sats are going up. And the nurse was like, holy cow, her sats are going up. Let's just see how this goes. We watched after about an hour, steady incline in the numbers, literally within 15 minutes of me saying that prayer. I called home and I said to my, my sister was watching my son. I said, can you keep him for the night? I'm not leaving the hospital. I'm staying here. And as that night went on, the numbers went up and never, dropped again and by i think it was about another five days or so she got off the ventilator after 11 weeks so anyway
0: yeah that's powerful yeah that's that's powerful um so you obviously those are examples where you were able to find a closer relationship to him to god whatever god is man woman whatever you think of him um so then third so then you still that was at 2 years old so all the way from 2 to three, you have 13 more years um and we'll we'll get get through it here but so at the end of her life um after all that struggle after 15 years of heartache and obviously a ton of you know things that we don't even understand what you've gone through um what is it like once she ultimately passes
1: you know well, I'll tell you, with coronavirus happening this year, I've I've been grateful that Charlotte is above that because if she was on dialysis the last two years of her life and we had to go to the hospital three times a week. That would have been very difficult all last spring, right, to go to the hospital. Sure. If she had gotten corona, it would have been, it, it, it. she wouldn't have been able to sustain it. So I feel like she's above all of that now. All Everything that she endured is gone and she can just, her spirit can just be free from all of those issues. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, we knew the whole last week of her life that it was coming, and we had the gift of being there in the room with her, and, um, you know, that was, I, I don't really know the words to say that, but what I do, you know, when I talk about framing things in a way that makes it work for people, like framing people, framing Your health so that you can sustain what you need to do. The frame that I look in at this situation for me is what a gift it was because for her service, um, 400 people came to her service, well, came through the viewing the night before. Probably close to 200 were at her service the next day. Doctors were in central New Jersey, her hospital was in Manhattan. Five of her doctors came out from Manhattan and Westchester to her service, which I didn't even know about. All of a sudden, I looked out. I'm like, "Oh my gosh! There's so and so from nephrology. There's head of thoracic surgery." Like they came out because for 15 years we were there, and to hear people stand up and talk about your child, like a lot of people don't get that. Like, wow, this kid impacted my life. What I learned from her, like I heard it over and over and over again, and that's a huge gift. And and I'm really grateful to have had to have seen the impact that my child who didn't talk or walk had on people you that's know so that's, that's how incredible. I that's how I look at that well uh
0: my condolences again and uh that's uh, the the what you've gone through hitting what we'll say is a rock bottom at some point throughout that time it was your health your emotional well-being your spiritual well-being your physical well it was all probably Connected and tied up, um, and there was probably a a very low moment. So, that said, you've been able to rebound and come out of it, which makes your business, uh, which makes your life coaching or your your health coaching business, or makes you really a tremendous asset. So, when you take what have you, when you've taken these lessons to your coaching business, uh, what are some of the areas that you really focus on? Uh, not only from a food and that kind of standpoint, but really on the emotional side as well.
1: Yeah, well, there's the strategies, like the food that you're talking about. So there's strategies you need to put in place in terms of taking these foods out, maybe finding what's toxic in your environment that's contributing to your your immune response. But then there's also the, the... thoughts and belief systems that you need to shift how you relate to you know am I a victim of this health diagnosis or is it a challenge for me that I can overcome and it will just be one blip on the course of an 80 year lifespan right so the, so helping people shift it to it's no different than you know the house I lived in when I was 20 that's what's happening then and I'm on same thing with this health issue. That's what's happening now. let's let's view it as something that you can overcome, learn how to navigate and move on from. So sort of again reframing we, I use reframing a lot because the lens that you look through anything at is going to determine you know your relationship to it, your experience around it, and then your outcome as well.
0: What is the type of the type of uh, uh, characteristics? So that somebody has or that something you know a woman especially because that's really what your focus is what are the types of clients that should be interested in your services
1: well I think somebody who's really ready to say um, I'm all in and I'm going to put myself first I think part of why I relate to women other other than being a woman is that it's not uncommon to put everybody else first especially if you're a parent and you've got kids right if your kid had a diagnosis you would do everything for them but a lot of times the women um, are not ready to do everything for themselves they'll just put up with it so I really think that somebody has to be at the point where they say you know what Mm -mm. I'm ready to put me first. I don't want to live this way and I'm going to do what it takes. So that's really important. Number one, another characteristic is I'm going to be really coachable, meaning I'm going to listen to everything that we we feel will make a difference and I'm going to take it on. At least let me try and let me be coachable because sometimes people are really attached to no, this doesn't work for me, or no, you don't know my body, or um, I have to give up my wine, I need my wine every day, you know what I mean, so like really being coachable, and set, and being willing to take it on, I think those are the two main um, characteristics that are really helpful to be successful, because sure. if people show up with that, we can move forward, you know, we can figure it out.
0: And is this a set program, like one size fits all, or how, how does that work?
1: well there's a basic yes 12 weeks that we know again that's the strategy part of okay we're going to do this with your diet we're going to there's some labs that we typically do with people to find out what's inflammatory in their body or that we do a gut test to find out what's going on in their microbiome so those are the strategy things but sometimes people it you know need a lot longer than 12 weeks so we might end up working with someone for six months or 10 months you know if if we have to unravel mold toxicity or epstein-barr virus or lyme disease or parasites all of those things that contribute to an immune system really struggling we have to find out what that is for each person
0: can you give us an example of of a success story
1: sure i actually um I actually, on Fridays, I always post a, a Friday's featured client, so I just did that on my, on my social media today, and that person, uh, so their videos, and I, I just sort of let the client describe their situation and and where they're at now. And so today's person was Corinne um, and she is a mom with, uh, I think her son is three, um, but a young son and just had all of the typical complaints, fatigue, couldn't get through the day, her body hurt, a lot of joint pain, wasn't able to exercise, brain fog, could not lose weight. And so, you know, within a couple of weeks, she said in the, in the interview, um, she started to get her energy back and so it was really great to hear that because my my clients live everywhere so I don't really know them I often don't even meet them in person and she was like I'm now I, I'm a big exercise person and I can go back to exercising sometimes I'll do two, two sessions a day and I just feel good and I'm staying up till 9 or 10 instead of going to bed like putting my son to bed at 6.30 or 7 and going to bed right after him my body doesn't hurt anymore so yeah that was today's uh, client that I just posted and you know those are the great stories that I am blessed to be a part of.
0: Well, that's got to keep you going when you do something yeah. like that. That's got to be such a rewarding feeling. Yes. To help people come out of the gutter. And, and she's a new mom. Is that, that her first child of three years ago? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's her first
1: child.
0: It's tough. Those first couple years are a blur. It's yes. really, really hard. Um, so... So these and these types of stories, I, I imagine, are common. I mean, this is a common occurrence for you and for your clients. And I do imagine, outside of the twelve-week program, it it's, it can't be a one-size-fits-all because everyone's coming to you from with different
1: backgrounds and different situations. Yeah. I, so here's the thing. So my training as an FDN um, is that it doesn't really matter to me so much what symptoms are showing up. You know, you might have joint pain. Somebody else is fatigued. Somebody else can't lose weight. You know, or all of those. But however your body is expressing it, the the problem is foundational. And so when we go to those foundations, like getting your gut cleared and healthier and removing things that are inflammatory and get making sure that the liver and the and the drainage pathways are moving through and getting stuff out when we go after that whatever your symptoms are are going to really reverse and calm down so um, so we do do we do that basic foundation for everyone and then, you know, we tweak it as needed with some of the specific lab tests.
0: Why is this gut so important? The gut is like the central system of the body.
1: It is. What is it
0: about this darn gut that we have?
1: (laughs) Well, the gut, so the gut is like the master, this is how I think of it a couple of different ways. Number one is, think of like Amazon's um, headquarters, right? The one central place, if there is one, where everything goes out the main warehouse where everything leaves that's your gut your gut is the main central um, focus and the bacteria that live in your gut are communicating to every other organ and system of the body and they have jobs to do so in another way that i like to think of it is like a community so if you looked out in your neighborhood and you have these houses right so you've got the jones live there and the smiths and the browns and the um the Allens, you know, so you've got all these different houses and each house has a job. So maybe the Smith's job is they're the painters of the community. They make sure everybody's house is painted. And the Jones, they make sure the plumbing works in everybody's house. And the Allens make sure something else, right? That's the different groups or families of bacteria in your gut. So they all have a job to do. And you want to make sure in each household that A, you have a good number of different households. If you only have Smith and Jones, then all those other jobs are not being handled, number one. Number two, within each household, you want You don't just want Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you want Mr. and Mrs. Smith with all their kids and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. So you want a depth of bacterial family so that you've got a lot of diversity and a lot of bacteria handling the jobs that need to be done. And the bacteria's jobs also change depending on their environment. So if there's bad bacteria, if you've gotten a parasite or because of eating processed foods, you've been feeding bad bacteria that are now really prolific in your gut. The good bacteria, what they're doing changes because they react. Bacteria live in communities and they react to each other and they are doing the job. They're telling everything. So there's a gut brain connection. There's a gut liver connection. There's, um, you know. Everything is affected by your gut. We have to start there. It's so how do how do, you, how do you does, see, does that make sense as does, to why it does? It
0: does. Yes. And how do people diversify and, and build on those families of, of bacteria?
1: Well, it has a lot to do with what you're eating. So when we start to change the diet, and we find out what's inflammatory if you eat foods and for some people if their gut has been damaged because they were on antibiotics or because stress is very um, contributes to the lining of the gut uh, what else Um, processed foods alcohol Caffeine, all of those things, sugar, sugar is a big impact. It It damages the lining of the gut. Mm-hmm. Actually, so does gluten, probably yeah. because gluten is so heavily sprayed with glyphosate, you know, Roundup. So the pesticides mm. damage the lining of the gut. So all of those things you have to address and remove and then start to heal. And then as you start to heal the lining of the gut, you, you feed the good bacteria. Sometimes you need help with a probiotic. We don't start there because you don't want to feed the bad guys, but we, you know, we start to change the environment first, change the terrain, change your diet, and then try to grow and support good bacteria with probiotics perhaps, definitely with food.
0: Did you say gluten is sprayed with pesticides?
1: Yes, I did. Please, please. We, <laughs>
0: why am I not surprised what exactly is that about
1: so in this country it's very difficult I'm, I'm guessing even if it says organic if it's grown in a field right next to another crop that was sprayed that probably it's it's got on even when it says organic so that's something to think about but there's two issues i'm just going to stick with gluten in this country the first issue is that the wheat plant that is grown in this country has been Modified In the early 80s, somebody actually got a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't remember his name, but he modified the wheat plant so that it would grow quicker. It would be more resistant to disease, um, you know, and just be hardier and available sooner. But it's not the same plant that our body recognizes, number one. Number two, the crops are sprayed throughout this country. The, the number is like mind boggling. It's like 60 billion tons of Roundup are sprayed across our country on our crops every year and that glyphosate um, that's the main component in Roundup damages the lining of our gut so um, so gluten that's why you know it's all everywhere you know gluten gluten free or avoid gluten because it is a big problem now and there's countries that won't take our wheat because because it's not great great wheat and and i know people who have cut out gluten here and if they go to europe they'll say you know i'm going out to italy on vacation for 10 days i'm going to eat pasta and bread and they do and they don't have an issue but if they did it even for two days here they would immediately have stomach pain they would notice their body hurts bloating etc oh my god mm
0: -hmm. wow yeah that's incredible. I, I didn't know exactly that here just in the United States. But, yeah, that makes total sense. I have the same issue when it comes to gluten. Uh, you know, it just depends. Sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's not. It's weird. And, and I think it's dairy, too. Dairy is, is disastrous yes. for the gut, correct? Yes.
1: Yes, for most people. We do, we'll do. do a food sensitivities test is typically part of our program to find out really for each person. Um, but before we those lab tests come back or, you know, or just right off the bat, we eliminate all of those just under the assumption that it's probably a problem
0: yes. and then
1: see how people do. But the dairy as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been brutal. Um, people could want to find you, connect with you. How do they reach you, Linda?
1: Um, so Organic Health Journey is my email. That is my um, website. Organic Health Journey at Gmail is my email. Organic Health Journey dot com is my website. On Facebook, Organic Health Journey is my business page. And on Instagram, Organic Health Journey is my Instagram name. So it's pretty consistent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, folks, in case
0: you didn't know, it's Organic Health Journey. You can find her, just Google her. We'll also link up your website here in the show notes as well, Linda. So um, No, this is fantastic. I think it's great what you're doing. Again, I love hearing stories. I love learning from people like yourself. And uh, we definitely learned quite a few different things today. Uh, I really appreciate you opening up about your daughter, your late daughter Charlotte, and uh, what your family's gone through. And obviously, uh, there's got to be a silver lining in there too, where your your services now are probably even more impactful than they ever have been.
1: Thank you, thank you for asking about her. I, you know, I like I said, I love talking about her, and I appreciate that you asked about her and let me share some of that story, and especially about how the belief in God really um, helped us. You know, just the belief in, in something bigger than us made a huge difference, so That's thanks. huge,
0: it's huge. Thank you so much, and we'll stay in touch, and thanks for coming on again.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.